0: Hello and welcome to Cinema to the Letter, this episode is that indie known as Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. cinema to the letter we break down the very nature of cinema letter by letter for each episode of a film and a series topic we cover six films that fit a c for classic i for indie N for new e for egregious m for masterpiece and a for atypical because who doesn't love an acronym am i right i am thomas and i might not remember did, did i host a podcast with you brian i think <laughs> oh, it's some vague memory
1: i'm not sure oh, you definitely probably probably got your brainwashed because of that um <laughs> <laughs> uh hi i am brian and i i also have cried in my car listening to a beck song so i <laughs> really related to this movie
0: <laughs> of course for sure but we're not the only ones here brian because we have another guest on uh she's a writer in her own right and you might have heard her on previous podcasts that used to exist on this feed uh miss lily Lavens. lily how's it going
2: i'm great how are y'all
0: uh, we're doing great. We're not crying at all. You know, no, like Brian definitely mentioned. Not, <laughs> not yet. No. no, the night is young. That's true for that. Um but uh yeah, so we sent you a list of movies, uh Lily that we were doing for the season. You immediately uh jumped on to this one, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Why did you want to come on for this one in particular?
2: Well, it was difficult because you picked a lot of classics. This is such a like quintessential millennial Even, you know, whatever's before millennial and after Gen Z type movie, I think that so many people relate to connect to Um, Charlie Kaufman has that effect on people, I think no matter how out there he goes, he brings it back to a place where I think a lot of people uh, can relate to and I hadn't revisited this one in a while. So this seemed like a perfect uh, excuse to rewatch and analyze my feelings on it. (laughs) uh good like almost ten years after I watch it the first time, so um I I wasn't prepared for for how I feel about it now. But uh it was it was like a no brainer. I had to rewatch this. It's so so good.
0: Yeah, I had a similar thing where I hadn't watched in a while, but I recently got the Kino Lorber Blu-ray. Um and I was like I finally nice. gotta slay it. I finally and this was as good as saying to say, like you mentioned, but it's also interesting just because given our season that we're doing here, which is one one Oscar it's interesting because this feels kind of like the quintessential example of particularly like a new millennium Oscar winning like indie movie for especially like it won for best original screenplay. It feels like definitely one of the great examples of like a movie that was so culturally significant in terms of like the critical sort of like darling face of it that everyone was like, well, we got to give it something. Let's give it best original screenplay. We're not going to give Kate that best actress award. Not yet. We got to wait for the reader. That's exactly <laughs> what she deserves it for. <laughs> yikes but would you agree with that sort of sentiment of it brian like what this kind of exists as to like that description for the oscars yeah i mean for sure you know charlie Kaufman has this thing of like he is
1: a really really talented screenwriter that has very weird ideas that i think appeal to people who are like maybe have not seen a lot of weird movies like you know like oscar voters especially around this time but for me like this movie i watched it in high school, which is kind of the perfect age to see this movie, I think.
0: Yeah, 100 um, And I <laughs>
1: yeah. related to it way too much. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of, I think it was my introduction into Charlie Kaufman. And I think for a while, I, I thought that it was one of the movies he had made or that Spike Jones had made. But um, yeah, I, I, I didn't really know much about Michelle Gondry at the time. And Despite the fact that I had seen, like... I saw The Green Hornet in theaters for some reason, which...
2: I think I did, too. I think it was a slow time for movies.
0: I did as well. You know, it was (laughs) Seth Rogen. It was January. Right, Something Exactly. Also a
1: movie that I... I own two Blu-ray copies of this movie. I was gifted it as, like, a... I I guess as, like, the movie person. People were like, oh, we'll just get you a Blu-ray. You like this movie, right? And they got me... Someone got me a copy of this movie, so I have two copies of it but um yeah i hadn't seen it in a really long time and i was kind of like a lot of movies i feel like that you watch in high school and kind of like really cling on to um i was a bit nervous to rewatch it but yeah. um it, it still holds up for me at least
0: yeah well I, I had a similar thing though sadly that's a bit longer of an experience as i believe the oldest person of this trio <laughs> It's like, I also hadn't seen it since high school, but that's a bit of a longer time for me. But, yeah, there's that weird thing that you're talking about where it's like, the movies that you would put on, like, your wall as a poster not framed. Like, yeah. those are the movies you always worry about. Like, is that gonna just, like, suck so hard now that I have some kind of wisdom at this point? Um, and Eternal Sunshine feels like, in so many ways, because it is very 2004 in particular, like, it would just, like be one of those movies that has not aged well now the 20 years since it originally came out. But uh yeah, it's 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 really interesting especially considering you know kind of a big thing that intersects with Oscar's here is uh Jim Carrey, who is I think just one of the most fascinating figures in sort of like 90s to 2000s kind of like megastardom and how he kind of like just piddled off after a certain point, but there was that time for a solid I don't know like five or six years where he was really gunning for the Oscar buzz kind of thing. Like after like Truman show and then leading to like man on the moon and the majestic, uh, there was that weird period where he wanted to really be treated seriously after being the clown, which I find really fascinating though. I'm curious, uh, Lily, what's your relationship to Jim Carrey?
2: I think like most um, people I grew up with him as the mask and Ace Ventura and all of these like uh, kind of cartoon come to life Films because he has such uh, a force on the screen and is such an incredible uh, physical comedian. I also um, grew up watching In Living Color because my mom had like a drama teacher that worked on the show or something like that, but uh, we had some connection to it. And he uh, is so incredible on that. I don't even know how young he is there, but he's like, he's just um, like, relentlessly, relentlessly funny is like the only way I can describe him. And then, yeah, I think in this period where he wanted to be taken seriously, like I am not Spock, like I'm not funny. um, It's, it's, I kind of lost him in there and I don't think I was really judging. I just don't think I was seeing a lot of these movies. Um, But Eternal Sunshine really stands out because I think he toes that line very uh, well between comedy and drama which are not very far apart as genres so i think he is like the embodiment of that because he can just do it do both so well you know yeah
0: he has that real sort of like clown sadness kind of deal (laughs) right that feels very natural like apparently that was the thing is that like uh that uh michelle gondry wanted him for the part and it was mainly because like he just sensed this real sadness coming off of him and i mean that's something that weirdly as you know time has continued on we've kind of seen more and more like oh that sad clown continues to be kind of like his main (laughs) sort of like online presence especially (laughs) whenever he does anything it's just it's it's so interesting and he was also sort of like for me he felt like the first actor where i was aware of him as like a kid where it's like i gotta see the jim carrey movie Like, I have to. He's, like, so silly and wild. Uh, But, Brian, what about you? Do you have a similar relationship to Carrie?
1: I didn't really grow up with, with, like, his classic movies at all, really. Like, um, I've never seen Ace Ventura, weirdly enough. Um, But I have seen stuff like The Truman Show and, unfortunately, the the Grinch movie he made. And, like, a lot of his kind of (laughs) later 2000s, like, output, which is what I kind of grew up on. And then, of course, you know both sonic movies which he's genuinely great in um (laughs) but yeah like I, i think i always kind of knew of him he was always just there you know he's one of those actors and he's you know really one of a kind right like he's one of those just one of a kind actors in hollywood and even as someone who didn't grow up watching his movies like i knew his kind of thing right like i would see like you know, I would catch a movie of his like on TV for like 20 minutes or something. And I'd be like, Oh, I, I know Jim Carrey, but yeah, I mean, I, I mainly know, like, you know, I love the Truman show and I love this movie. And those are both more of his more dramatic roles, more of his like, you know, quote unquote, serious roles that he's taken on. He's so great in this movie, I think. And it's kind of insane to me how he can kind of like I don't understand how Michelle Gondry just like dialed him really down because there's not a lot of Carrie isms in this movie, but um, but I, I love him. I think he's great, and he's just such a a fascinating figure. Like Thomas said, you and I were talking about him like recently, and his just kind of career and like where he is
0: now and everything. And it, it's so weird to look at him now. The real perspective. To have with that because like when I was younger I always thought like oh like Ace Ventura and uh, the Mask those came like one year after the other right no 1994 is this crazy year where he does Ace Ventura the Mask and Dumb and Dumber and those movies make 750 million dollars in 1994 money in one year it's so fucking crazy <laughs> and I think that's that's the thing is that like he is just, like, this guy who, like, his stardom started up so quickly that by, like, the cable guy a couple years later, he's making, like, $20 million off of that and the first actor to ever do so. And then leading into, like, sort of the serious period we're talking about, it feels like you can definitely see that sort of, I mentioned that clown sadness of him just being, like, I'm, like, entertaining for the crowd, I'm in front of everybody, I'm doing all these voices, my face is distorting itself right in front of you. And I think that really weighs on him. And I think it's really shown that it feels like he kind of like stretched himself out. And this is just like the husk of a plastic man. Um, But yeah, you know what? We've been talking a bit about Carrie. Let's go ahead and just jump into the movie now. We're going to play the trailer here now for uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind.
2: My name's Clementine, by the way. I'm Joel. Do I know you?
0: Change your heart. I had the best night of my entire life.
2: (laughs) Look around. I love you in order to recapture what you had. It's three o'clock. I'm crawling out of my skin. First, you need to forget what you've got. Okay. It will astound you. My name is Joel Parrish, and I'm here to erase Clementine
0: Christians. I'm erasing you, and I'm happy. By morning, you'll be gone. (gasps) This is a hoax, right? I don't want this anymore. I want to go.
2: Starring Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Easter Monday at 9
0: on 4. So uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind came out March 19, 2004 from uh, French director Michel Gondry um, who has a very curious career. Um, was initially known for doing a lot of music videos and Brian Anderson, you've watched a lot of his music videos in the last couple days. I watched a few research. of them. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, Especially just because he's made Music videos for a lot of artists I love, like he he did a Radiohead music video, um, of course. He did Bjork music videos and like the a Daft Punk one and stuff like that. And like, yeah, a great music video director. But his his movie career is very odd. Um, which I mean, Thomas, I think you're more familiar with his movies than I am. Is that is that right? Uh,
0: yeah, I've seen a, a fair amount of them. Uh, because I mean, he. His uh, first feature is Human Nature, which I saw fairly recently, which was an interesting one because it's the first collaboration with Kaufman. Um, and it's basically about like Patricia Arquette is this woman who has grown up, like ever since she was younger, she was super hairy. And it turns out she's like very much related to like pygmy chimps. And they find a male who's played by Reese Ephens, who is like has a similar kind of like hairy vibe. And Tim Robbins is, like, the scientist who's researching about all this. And he was in a relationship with Trisha Arcade. It's weird. It's not a great movie, necessarily. But you can see kind of, like, some of the Michelle Gondry, like, sort of forced perspective. And, you know, that kind of, like, fun stuff that, like, we end up knowing him for. Um, But then his next feature would be Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Um, And then I've seen his uh, unfortunate person to bring up at the, the concert movie Dave Chappelle's Block Party. Which is Oof. a really good concert movie, though. Like, that's, like, where the fucking Fuji's reunited okay. in, like, 2006 for, like, that particular one. Um, it's interesting. It's a, it's a fun concert movie, even if, even if Dave Chappelle shows up. Um, but then The Science of Sleep, which I haven't seen before, but feels very kind of twee 2006 indie, like we were talking about. Yeah. Uh, and then Be Kind Rewind, which is a fun little movie where, like, it's, it's basically about, like, Jack Black and Yazin yeah. Bey, formerly Mos Def, um, play two guys who run a video store, and it turns out they demagnetize all the tapes accidentally, so they just do remakes of the movies with, like, cardboard and shit. So they do, like, The Lion King, but there's, like, a cardboard line and shit like that. It's it's a very sweet movie, honestly. It's, it's very cute. And then The Green Hornet, which we all have seen, apparently, and we all, I'm sure, <laughs> love dearly, right? <laughs> You One know, of the great superhero I, films. I haven't seen it since I saw it in theaters. and um, Same.
2: And I want that on the record, actually.
1: <laughs> I mean, I have no inkling to to rewatch it, although I, I am curious, especially because a lot of that cast is, like, Christoph Waltz is in it, and, like, David Harbour, apparently, and Cameron Diaz, and, like, it's a weird cast, and a weird movie, and, a you know, based off a weird, like, source material. So, but, yeah, that's kind of his last, like, Hollywood movie
0: which is weird because then it goes back to Francis stuff like Mood Indigo which right. just like I remember seeing the trailer for her, and I'm like oh wow this looks like exactly what you would do after a big budget <laughs> like blockbuster movie like an, <laughs> a fantasy driven romance in French of course you would um, but but yeah, how do you feel about Michel Gondry, Lily?
2: Well I am only just now realizing he did Be Kind Rewind and I do love that movie and yeah I was watching a little like behind the scenes featurette from eternal sunshine where uh, that I'm sure y'all have seen if you have the DVD, but, uh, uh they're just talking with people in the cast but mostly Michelle Gondry. And basically talking about how wildly creative he is. And he, he looks at the things that are not possible and he laughs at it and he, you know, takes it as a challenge and he's going to do it. And what I like about be kind, rewind is how creative Jack Black has to get in. anything with Jack Black, like sign me up. But, uh, it's not something, I mean, his filmography, I would not connect any of them to one another. I I just uh, am kind of amazed at it. But I guess with the Charlie Kaufman collaboration, you, I could see it in like the descriptions of that human nature movie and stuff. But from the just brief interview I watched with him, he does or did seem like an interesting figure. And I wonder what happened to him because I see echoes of this movie, particularly it's visual style and so many other um, directors these days. I was just thinking about like the Daniels um, and, you know, Christopher Borgley who just did dream scenario and sick of myself. And I guess Yorgos. you know, like all these people who um, have this profound visual style, but I do think is, has echoes of these like wildly outrageously um, messing with size and perspective and like, Basically, anything that is intangible he can bring to life. And so I just wonder how we get from that to The Green Hornet. And I'm not even trying to throw shade at that. It's just like, seems like such stark contrast. So I, I don't know how, how to feel about him, honestly.
0: I mean, this happens to a lot of foreign filmmakers when they come over to the US, with, especially when they start off with like something a bit more intimate. With Colonel Sanchez, a bit more indie, even though we're doing this as our eye for indie, but it's a twenty million dollar budget, and it stars like a guy who had just been in Bruce Almighty, a movie that made like five hundred million dollars <laughs> the previous year. So it's and Kate Winslet, of course, star of Titanic, so shit like that. So it is that kind of Oscar indie, where it's like it's not quite indie. Um, but in in any case, it still feels like a very, like, odd, interesting movie that grabs people's attention, so Hollywood's naturally like, uh, let's put you into a slot, how about this Green Hornet movie we've been trying to make for a fucking decade, sure, you can do that, I guess. Um, but, but yeah, I think the only real connection I see, even in some of Green Hornet, is sort of that, you mentioned, like, that DIY aesthetic that's kind of there with, like, the forced perspective and a lot of, like, the cardboard stuff that we see, um, and stuff like, in, uh, Be Kind Rewind, there's, there's that kind of, like, familiar, almost like we're kind of making this from patchwork. Like, the, the music video I was actually watching right before we got on here was the one he did for the White Stripes. I believe it's called the Denial Twist, which like, it starts off with them performing on a weird version of the Late Night with Conan O'Brien stage. And it looks exactly like the stage, but it's just small. And they're normal people like, performing in it. And there's like, a little person with a Conan cutout face that's just like, moving around like, here are the White Stripes, everybody. So it's that, that kind of like, Weird, surreal, dreamlike—as it were—state that fits perfectly for this movie, and I think has also made this. Well, probably again, more like this is one of the most influential movies of like the two thousands oh, for yeah. sure. Like yeah, Lily's yeah. mentioned, you see so much of the ripple effects
1: from this movie forward. To go back a bit to like his kind of creativity, I think is like when you watch a lot of those music videos, like you understand why he was given such a chance, like a chance to work in Hollywood with, with, you know, big actors and everything, because like, there's so much creativity in like all of those music videos that he made. And so you get why, you know, why Hollywood was like, we'll let you make a movie like he, you know, he, he is such a creative person. I mean, as much as it is very 2004 with like, obviously just the outfits, the hairstyles, the, the music, right? Like the,
2: the F slur. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah right true yeah very true
1: but all, even just the the kind of romance element of it i think is still really relevant in a lot of movies now um and just feels very modern you know it's weird to think that this is 20 years old at this point but it it feels like it could have come out in the past decade or so it, it doesn't feel like it's dated really besides that f-slur which is like a, she sells it she says it and you're just like oh
2: kate what are you what are you doing <laughs> yeah rose what are you saying? yes Rose (laughs) no stop
1: not to jump too ahead into like the cast of this movie which is insane like insanely what a cast but like I can't imagine seeing like and this is someone I just watched all of the Lord of the Rings movies like a couple weeks ago it's very weird seeing like those movies and then seeing Elijah Wood in this movie because his look is so scummy (laughs) and then everything he does is so like scummy and like an awful he's an awful person and it's just so weird to get that after, like, seeing him as Frodo, who is, like, so sweet and, like, just such a lovely, lovely character. But, yeah, just his, his goatee. I just... Oh, yes. Unforgivable.
0: <laughs> Absolutely insane. And particularly, like, even his hoodie, like, feels douchey just yeah. as he's wearing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but he he is great in this movie, as is everyone in this movie. I mean, the the whole cast is just really, really great, and, like, I I mean, we can kind of, I guess, dive into more of them, but, like, you know, Kate Winslet is is really incredible, and, like, I I assume you guys, as a bit older than me, kind of really grew up on, like, Kate Winslet, especially in Titanic, I would would assume, right? Yes, 100%. Yeah.
2: Yeah. One of my favorite Kate Winslet roles, deep cut. uh, If you've ever watched the Ricky Gervais show extras, which at its time was like excellent. I can't speak to anything that man does now, but back in the day, um, basically would always have some a-lister, typically British make a cameo on an episode super casually because the premise is him and his best friend are both like extras on all these movie sets. Um, And Kate Winslet, is in this like nun movie they're shooting. And so she's like super religious and super devout. And then she just has like the nastiest sailor mouth when the camera's cut. And she's just so rude and awful. And it was so, there's something very satisfying about seeing someone who plays so sweet even in this movie. She's a little idiosyncratic and impulsive, but she's still very like a sweetheart. And it's just so fun to see them break out of that. And with this role, I do think she is both kind of crass and uh, cute, but I just I love that. And she can do that. And Mayor of Easttown, after watching that, she watching her vape convincingly, <laughs> she can do anything.
0: Yeah, and especially fascinating because this is dur- during that kind of like Oscar uh, starved craze for her as well before, like I said, they eventually give it to her for the reader. Because she's like nominated for Titanic and a couple other things. It's like during the like late '90s, or early 2000s, and this one was definitely sort of like a different turn for her. Because usually she does play kind of like typical British roles and stuff like that. But this feels like a bit more opposite. And it's fascinating considering there's the term "manic pixie dream girl" that comes about weirdly the year after this movie comes out with Elizabeth Town to describe Kristen Dunst's character in that movie, which is wild to think about, given she's also (laughs) in this movie. But, um, yeah, basically just, like, oh, this, like, very flighty love interest who has these, like, weird kind of tics and is quirky and that makes her, like, get this main protagonist dude out of his shell. Like, it's a common trope that happens and it feels like, there were examples of that before Elizabeth Town, but it feels like Winslet is really kind of, like, deconstructing what a character like that can really be, especially in terms of, like, some of the implications that are, like, not, not extremely stated, but there's kind of an implication that there's some sort of disorder with Clementine. Perhaps bipolar, perhaps something like that. They do a great job of, like, really making her such a fascinating character and really developing sort of both sides of it between Jim Carrey and Winslet, but also still keeping it within Carrie's perspective for, like, most of it. Except for when we do cut over to, like, her post-the-procedure. Uh, and stuff like that. I think they do a great job of like kind of balancing out like who she really is versus what uh, his perception of her is at the same time throughout all this. Yeah,
1: I mean, it's because I also thought about like the whole manic pixie dream girl thing, like while watching this movie. But like, she's far more like you know, she's a bit prickly in a lot of like you know, especially like their their little like meet cue on the train and everything. The way she is kind of like a bit more, like, forward and a bit more, like, I don't know, there's something kind of, like, I can see why, like, Carrie's character is more, like, is kind of, like, a bit put off by her, a bit, like, scared and intimidated by her. Um, But she does come off as quite confident, which I think, you know, kind of helps alleviate a lot of that manic, manic pixie dream girl energy. She can be kind of crass and very, like, blunt in what she wants, right? Like, when she kind of asks him, like, about the baby, right? And, like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. The, it's a lot of that stuff that I think makes her a bit more of a three-dimensional character, as well as, like, what you said, where, like, keeping in mind that, like, all of a majority of this movie is is Carrie's perspective, basically. Which I think right. is such a fascinating way to handle that, like, idea, even though, like, it hadn't happened yet, right? Because it's the next year with Elizabethtown. But it's a, a really, like, interesting kind of dynamic there. Um, And I think Winslet Winslet is really great in this movie. Titanic was probably one of the first movies I ever saw. And so she was one of my, you know, first times ever seeing a a movie star. And I, I love her. I think she's great. And like um, a couple years after that, she does like little children, which I think she's really great in, which she probably should have won an Oscar for. I'm going to be honest.
0: No, Um, the reader, buddy, that's where it's (laughs) at. (laughs) Holocaust drama (laughs) where she can't read that's where that's where it's at but uh, yeah, i yeah i still love her though
1: like i i actually haven't seen mayor town i i really want to i've seen like pic- yeah, pictures yeah. of her like vaping and i'm like this sound this is so great. Rude. but like <laughs> she's great in like avatar way of water as well where she's like playing like yes. a you know she's yeah she's a great actor and i think she often does do like a lot of bad weird movies like m- remember collateral beauty <laughs> Like, oh, oh, boy! Do I remember collateral yeah. beauty? Never
0: forget collateral beauty. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, but no, yeah, she she's really great in this movie, and I, I just I think her character is really fascinating, and I think has really aged interestingly. But I think is a, still has a dimensionality to her.
2: Charlie Kaufman is really excellent at revealing people in like a methodical, careful way. One of my favorite movies is Adaptation. And I just love the way that each character is introduced and how their relationships to each other uh, morph and evolve just as they do in real life, but at a different pace because we're watching a movie. And I think what Eternal Sunshine does well is we really do only see her from his perspective at first. And we see these very surface things like, Oh, maybe she has a drinking problem. She says she changes her hair a lot. She seems very kind of erratic and impulsive. And these things are all true. And then what you find out is also true. is She's also very sensitive and she tries to connect with him. And she just, what always breaks my heart is just her saying like, I want to know you. Like I, you know, want to know who you are. And it doesn't seem like she's asking for much at all. And she's very, caring and, and sweet, but also the reality is it's not the, the easiest thing for people to do sometimes. So I think they just do a really good job of not giving away all that at once. And where other manic pic- pixie dream girls might lack is that you kind of get a lot of surface level aesthetic things and not always a ton of depth, but I think she has it.
0: Yeah, I think a big part of that is like the initial scene where we see her, uh, where she's on uh, the subway, with uh, on the train with uh, Jim Carrey. I think that and also the scene later on that we do get where like we actually find out how they first met on the beach. I think both display that kind of thing where she comes over to him after she sees him kind of like over awkwardly at the side kind of looking at her and not really knowing what to do, where she sees it like, oh, this is another person who feels kind of outcasted. So I do want to kind of like like having a conversation with them, trying to know a bit more about them, like you're mentioning Lily, and I think that's what makes her instantly very warm. But at the same time, you can tell why like these two people are attracted to each other, and then why later on that relationship just falls apart because they're two just like personalities that can't really mesh in an actual like stable relationship for very long. She she takes his chicken. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Takes his chicken right off the plate. Exactly. The the, the first move, anyway. You should really do just take some chicken <laughs> off the plate. I love Carrie's <laughs> delivery where
1: he's like, and then you just took it without, like, I mean, without me saying anything. Like, I. I <laughs> <laughs> but like, I, I mean, and and to kind of go into the the Charlie Kaufman of this all, which is it's so fascinating, and he's such a fascinating writer, of course. But I, I think what what's so great about this movie is that Kaufman is so great at writing like kind of pathetic people, you know, like really like sad sacks and like he like, obviously like adaptation has a lot of that and being John Malkovich has that and like his own movies that he's directed have a lot of that. But like the thing about Carrie in this movie and like the, is that he is that character and it it almost feels like, especially watching like rewatching adaptation, like it feels a bit like he's making fun of that idea of like someone who is so like self deprecating and like just so like down all the time. And yet, I think he handles it with like a, a real sincerity for that character. Like like you said, Lily, he really like cares about like his characters and and people and like unraveling these people. Um, and I just find that so interesting the way that he's able to like still make one of his characters in the way that he does. Like Jim Carrey feels totally like a, like a Charlie Kaufman character. Um, although his hair is like less frizzy than it should be. I feel like, like, but um, yeah, like I, I think Kaufman is a really like, I think people, when they think of Charlie Kaufman, they generally think of like him having such a wild imagination. He comes up with these crazy ideas, but when I think of him, at least, I think of how great he is at writing people and really understanding, like, what makes people tick and, like, their different, like, problems that they have, just things they're they're going through and all that stuff. And I think that's, like, such a great element of this movie. And it's it's one of the reasons I just love Charlie Kaufman in general. But, I mean, yeah. How, how do you guys feel about Charlie Kaufman overall? I mean, I'm, I'm curious.
2: I mean, I... I, hmm, i i think i like him so much that i have purposely purposefully purposely avoided certain films of his that i get a vibe that i'm not going to love it i could be so wrong and i hope to be proven wrong and i will watch them someday but like i remember when i'm thinking of ending things came out it was so polarizing that I wanted to wait for, like, the discourse to die down. I was like, I'll, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. And I still haven't. But I just, I love adaptation. I love this movie. I didn't finish um, being John Malkovich. Um, mm. It's one of the few movies I have I have turned off. I was also too young, I believe, for that. So sure, it might have been the problem, but... I don't know. What, what, about, what about you, Thomas?
0: Charlie Kaufman, especially ever since he started directing things, I've dubbed him the king of dude-are-you-okay cinema. Yeah. Because, like, oh, yeah. all of his movies, like, it's interesting, because when you have these ones that weren't uh, written by him but were directed by somebody else, like Eternal Sunshine or being John Malkovich, there's a bit more at least whimsy coming off the directors who can take, like, sort of his surreal elements and create a bit more of, like, a fascinating, uh, fantastical world that at the same time compliments kind of the tragedy that underlines his movies. And then when he's behind the wheel, he just does not stop with like the bleakness, especially I think of ending things is like one of those movies where I saw it in the deep pandemic and I thought it was great, but I also never want to watch it again. It yeah. feels like truly such like a very inward look at just like a person completely collapsing <laughs> And I'm just like, I don't know, I did, especially at that time in like, I don't know, September 2020 was a weird time. A great thing where nothing bad was happening. <laughs> right. Good point. Um, but yeah, I think that that's the thing is I like, I love even his movies. Like Snecht in New York is another example of that, where I just love like how that movie just unravels with like it, its escalation of just the weird fantastical layers of like a play like a, a playwright writing a play, and then oh, it turns out he is actually part of the play, and the play never ends, and the play keeps going, and stuff like that. It's just insanity. That at the same time I'm very compelled by, but also once again, anytime I see a movies directed, just like, do you do you need to talk, Charlie? Charlie you need I mean, to talk to somebody?
1: Yeah, I specifically did not rewatch *Synecdoche, New York* or *Anomalisa*. Uh, or I'm thinking of editing things before this because like. Yeah, that, that that element has always been there, of course, right? And all his movies like ha- deal with people who are like deeply depressed and like <laughs> yes. you know have a very bleak look on on kind of their life. But like, really, when he starts directing, is really when like I, I start to like be like, I I don't think I can deal with this right now. Like, I don't think I can deal with the themes of Synecdoche, New York, especially right now. Um, yeah, he he's also just such a fascinating figure because he like. He clearly has such an understanding of, like, his place in Hollywood. Obviously, and, like, adaptation is so much of that. Right. But really in recent years, especially, as he's, like, struggled to get projects made and just has not really been able to keep working, yeah, like, I'm I'm a bit worried for him at times. But I I, I just always really want to see what he has to do, because he is such a really great writer, and he's a great director. Yeah, I, I think he's such a fascinating figure, but... I don't know. Yeah. He is, he has a bleakness and especially with working with like Spike Jones, who is like very weird to think about as well. Just uh, it's very weird to think that like Charlie Kaufman and a guy from who was known for like Jackass and like music, also music videos, like made movies together for a little bit. It's a weird combination. Um, but yeah, I love him. And he, he's one of these guys who I'm like, I wish that he was just given like, permanent blank check forever to just make whatever he wants because he's so he's such a specific like figure i think and like people love his movies but he's just kind of struggled in years to to get
0: projects made which which kind of sucks um so wow they seem so commercial (laughs) right exactly (laughs) right i I, quite a netflix release i think of ending things at a time where theaters could be open just like everyone's blockbuster (laughs) packed into them thinking of ending things um, though it is also weird, like, apparently one of the things he's done to, like, kind of make a living during all this is he has rewritten a lot of DreamWorks movies. Like, he rewrote Kung Fu Panda 2, apparently did a draft on that, weird. which is odd. And apparently he has, like, a one that he's getting writing credit for called Orion and the Dark.
2: Yeah, I've which seen is like this.
0: Right. That's an upcoming DreamWorks <clears throat> movie that he just has a writing credit on. <laughs> so I'm sure it's going to be a great entertaining kids movie. It doesn't do with that any dark, depressing. Traumatize at all. those children. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think with Eternal Sunshine, it, it's such a great balance of what we're talking about with like that kind of sad sack energy from a carry, but also at the same time the 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 complexity of like how the story is told non linear non linearly. I can say that word correctly. Um, and I, I just love that um, he, he's able to watch, especially like this is a movie where I hadn't seen it since I was in high school, but I've just like had it on in the background and watched it with the commentary in just the last couple of days since I rewatched it. And it's so fascinating just seeing all the details when you rewatch it, just like, oh wait, yeah, that's why. Cause like when I first saw this, it blew my mind. It's like, oh wait, he's like in the memory thing now, like this whole time he's been there and we're just like experiencing it. And I think, like, Gondry's style complements that beautifully. Where it's just, like, how certain, like, uh, memories fade out. Like, that one bit where he's talking to the guys, he's getting uh, mail out of his mailbox. Where we see initially yeah. just, like, the actual memory. And then we see, like, the fading version of it. And how that guy just literally, like, disappears into the fuzzy abyss. And everything. That feels like it could be in a Charlie Kaufman-directed movie. That would be, like, a nightmare that you couldn't really fathom. Versus here, it just feels like it's odd and it's off, but it still is, like, fascinating to where, like, you want to just know more at the same time. I think that could only happen with, like, Gondry doing this service to Kaufman's work.
2: There are even elements that could be, like, horror when the their faces are kind of distorted and, yes. you know, just various quick cuts that are so jarring. I love how it's like 10 different genres in one. And that's, that's why I brought up like the Daniels earlier because it just has a, an everything bagel quality to it as well. It's like I love a maximalist mm-hmm. movie and I love that every detail matters. It, n- nothing is a, is a mistake or an accident. I just think it's so cool. But
0: at the same time, it's like a, it's a casually maximalist movie. True. Which is so interesting about it, where it's like, there's so much complexity, but the style of it is so, like, grounded in DIY, that, like, the scene where um, Carrie's, like, sort of entire world is breaking down, he, like, goes up to Elijah Wood in the bookstore and turns him around, just the back of his head (laughs) the entire time. It's a really cool effect. Right, that has, like, kind of, like, a weird nightmare quality, but I love, I was watching a a behind-the-scenes thing of how they shot that, and they just had Elijah spinning around in the chair for a while so then they would just map on like the back part just throughout the with like later in post-production and it's like that's how simple that effect is but like it's so unsettling but not in a way that like once again in a charlie Kaufman movie you would be like in a corner crying about it
1: <laughs> i mean there, there, there's so many details i love like that are kind of like because yeah it is a maximalist movie right it's doing a lot and a lot of those like you know I think of them as dream sequences, but they are like when he, when they're in his head and going through all like the memories and everything, like they feel dreamlike and yet they are like, so there, a lot of them are quick, right? Like there's like one scene and then we're moving on. And a lot of like the effects there are kind of weirdly subtle sometimes. Like I love when they're, um, I guess it's when thinking of it chronologically after when, uh after they're at the Montauk house and he goes to like, her job at Barnes and Noble and you can see like all the books like slowly like disappearing one after, and it's not like drawing your attention to it, but it's just slowly happening in the background. And it's just a really like simple, but really effective, like effect. Um,
0: like that one, or, like the one where like he, all the books disappear and then he like suddenly goes through and Jane Adams's doorway. That's the, very yeah, that's the transition. Yes.
1: It's a really like great transition. And I think that's like, a Michel Gondry thing, right? Like, that's kind of one of the things he does in, like, a lot of his music videos of just, like, transitioning from two different points in the story just seamlessly, right? And he does it a lot in this movie, like, all of the the mind stuff when he's... They're just, like... Uh, I guess they're trying to, like, hide from Tom Wilkinson, like, trying to find them in the dream. It's very weird. But, like, all those sequences are just really seamless and really bleed together in a way that i just like found really like beautiful still and feel very dreamlike um which i i yeah is a weird it's a very interesting marriage of of gondry and and kaufman kind of doing those two like nightmarish
0: but dreamy and hazy kind of things uh which i love to the degree that that's how i kind of like imagine when I think of like me having a a dream or me like experiencing a memory, it feels kind of like this where there's obviously like a movie like quality to it. But there's also like we're mentioning kind of like the uh, environments bleed in between each other. It almost feels like you're kind of like on a stage and like the sets are moving around and stuff like 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 that. Yeah.
2: And I like how it's also like feels like diminutive, but just quirky and whimsical because it, it could, like I said, could just, be horror like you said like a nightmare um it's all very still like there's a a charming quality to it because which i think is necessary because on paper it's a very sad story and i remember avoiding this movie for years because i have a phobia of sad movies and everyone told me it was sad and so shame on those people because it's actually like a very healing movie i think um or it can be but part of why it is is because it's it is so dreamy. It is so, um, so whimsical and nice. And I also just another like aesthetic technical element. I love how the, the science fiction is so like mundane and casual. Like we're talking about these casual maximalism thing, all the chords with their tech at his place. And it feels also like remnants of the nineties as well. But um, that kind of existed in the early two thousands, but I just, it makes it all feel so much more real, like this could actually happen um, at some point in some time.
1: Which is weird to think about this movie as a a sci-fi movie, which it it is, technically. yeah. But, like, yeah, I love all that stuff. Like, the device that he has to, like, wear on his, like, they put on his head, and, like, the, I love Mark Ruffalo's, like, little laptop that he has, which is such a very, like, early 2000s laptop. Yes. I I love the way that it is kind of handled in that, like, like you said, it's very mundane and it's very, like, like, it's their job, and it's just very casual, and it's very... It's not over-explained, really, and yet you just... You get it so quickly, and you get what's happening, and it's just... I don't know, really well done about that, but I think, like, the movie as a whole feels very... Almost light on its feet, in a weird way. Like, it like it, it doesn't feel... Like like you were saying, Lily, like, the kind of quirkiness of it, where... If Charlie Kaufman directed this, I feel like it would have definitely like, felt overbearing and very, like, oppressively sad. But I think Gondry really adds that lightness and that, like, weird quirkiness to it, which is weird to describe for this movie because it's also dealing with, like,
0: very heavy topics. I think it helps that it's quirky but not twee. Precisely. Because, like, there's a version of this movie that also would be much more twee and annoying and wouldn't quite work as well. Like, honestly, I think of that with something like um, Meet Earl and the Dying Girl, which you think is a movie that definitely loves this movie? Yeah, I don't think is nearly as good as it thinks it is.
2: I was gonna say Five Hundred Days of Summer, but that's that's a better that's a better
1: example. God, I hate that movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I like me and me
0: Earl and the Dying Girl for me too. For the record, <laughs> <was> but <laughs> <laughs> I'm i a bit alone on that island. But yes, I, either of those aren't a bad example of that <laughs> to me. <laughs> Should
1: we get into more of the, a bit more of the the supporting cast here? We, well, I mean, together. you were
0: mentioning Ruffalo. Oh. And your background, we should mention, Brian, is uh, <laughs> Ruffalo and Kirsten Dunst dancing in their underwear. An amazing sequence. So good. Truly. <laughs> yes. Especially for, like, the weird, like, it's its such interesting comedic relief for, like, while this is going on, inside Jim Carrey's head, he's, like, at the pond that's frozen over where all the, like, lights are turned off, basically, and Kate Winslet gets, like, dragged. Like, she's yeah. in an Evil Dead movie and shit like that. I <laughs> mean, while they're dancing, while high.
2: <laughs> I love it. I mean, it's definitely an HR issue, but I think it's really oh. funny. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Look, there's a lot of problems with their work ethic, I would say, based on this. Like, I love that yeah. they feel like two, like people who have been at a job just long enough to where it's like, nothing's ever gone wrong. So we can, like, fuck off and do whatever as long as I'm, like, just keeping an eye on the laptop, but uh, then everything just turns to shit. It's, like, perfect.
1: It always, like, is so funny to me that they they are, like, drinking his, like, alcohol and, like, eating his food and everything, which is... <laughs> it's such a like shitty thing to do but i just think it's so funny that these guys like go to they do this job and then they're just always like just drinking people's alcohol and like just stealing their shit and everything and like when elijah wood like, is talking about like clementine and he's saying how like when we did her like I, I i took her underwear and everything and mark ruffalo is like do you know what like how unethical that is and then they both have like this like weird like laugh that is so like
2: <laughs> yeah and they just start <laughs> laughing but it, it is interesting because it's like in a movie that explores so many what ifs, it's like if you think about what if we did have the technology to do this and what if this was like, you know, another um, capitalistic endeavor, like this would absolutely happen, unfortunately, with yes, with anyone. And I'm not even trying to say it's, uh, you know, uh, uh, hashtag not all men, but, you know, it's just like, of course, that of course, Frodo would do that. And of course, uh, Mark Ruffalo would kind of chastise him and then laugh about it while they're like smoking a joint. It, that's part of like, I, when I say quirk, I think I just mean like offbeat. It like goes all the way deep into like, even the darkest parts of this movie. It's just still like, there's a sense of humor, which is like true to life, you know? So I think it's, it's fitting.
0: Yeah. I love particularly like the uh, office that they're in, the little like uh, facility that uh, the whole brain drain thing is in. It looks like perfectly shitty. Right, where it it's does, like, yeah. this is a thing that exists, but like, it's clear like they're not doing great necessarily. I love in the commentary, it's my favorite moment where it's super French Michelle Gondry and Charlie Kaufman talking, and Kaufman says, like, oh yeah, their digs don't look great. And Michelle's like, oh, digs? What are these digs? <laughs> it's like, their, their office doesn't look great. <laughs> but it's true. Like, I think that's, that's part of like the charm. I think that we're kind of mentioning the offbeatness. is that like, this is like something that would be in a strip mall. Like, there's probably a fucking, like, a Cold Stone Creamery next door or something (laughs) that, like, uh, gets way more traffic than these people do. And I think that's what's, like, so fascinating is that, like, it's so, once again, that kind of, like, lower DIY aesthetic that, like, yeah, you could see why, like, Ruffalo would think to fuck off and just, like, hang out with his girlfriend and eat donuts while they're smoking joints. And I really want to mention, this is an underrated Dunst performance for me.
2: Oh, Oh, yeah. Absolutely. She's...
0: Like, so amazing in so many things, but this is like a, a great schmorkas board of all that she can provide with, like, her, s- like, sort of stoner girl initial outlook, which is like she's just dancing, and then especially when things start fucking up, she just keeps saying, I'm so stoned. I'm so stoned. <laughs> and, like, particularly her when Tom Wilkinson comes in and she's just, like, kind of babbling in the way it's like, oh, yeah, this is exactly what, like, a stoner. When they're trying to, like, look cool in front of their boss. But he they, like, the pulls
2: the chair he out did. for him. She's like, here you go. And we're <laughs> yes. good. And everything's fine and normal.
0: <laughs> That's so good. And then when it turns and we find out, like, oh, she was a part of this. And she, like, completely breaks down. It's, like, the first real indicator of, like, oh, yeah, somebody's gone through this. And when they realize that they've gone through this, it feels like almost they've been violated by, like, themselves in a weird way it kind of reminds me of like if anyone has seen severance uh, yeah which has a similar kind of thing yeah weirdly indebted to this movie actually
2: no i would love to watch it but unfortunately apple tv shows aren't real they don't really exist so
0: (laughs) well i don't know yeah when you're on the same network as c yeah come on that's a good point (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, fucking, I don't know, uh,
1: The Morning Show. That's, I don't know.
0: Oh, The Morning, yeah, they got all those SAG nominations? Yeah, as Tom of one that one
1: that came out this year? The, uh... Something about like a bird, Bre- or... The Crowded Room, or something, yeah. Oh, I don't well, know. well, I
0: mean, also Cherry, in terms of cinema. Ugh. I mean, Ugh.
2: wonderful. Oh,
1: God. One of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not joking, I hate that movie so much. <laughs> it's pretty bad. But, um... Yeah no, I Kirsten Dunst, who is maybe one of my favorite actors, who I have been in love with ever since I saw her in Spider Man when I was a kid, and I was like, oh, I this is my favorite actor ever. Also, I'm in love with her. Um, <laughs> but she she's great. I mean, she's incredible. Whereas like I love her in all the Sofia Coppola movies, especially like Marie Antoinette, uh, Melancholia. Despite a lot of the stuff around that movie, but, um...
0: What, that really fun movie that everyone can
1: watch and just have a fun time watching? A great press conference, too, at the Canton Film Festival. Nothing (sighs) weird or bad happened. One of her great performances, really.
2: No weird controversial opinions or takes No,
1: But I think I I remember when I first saw Eternal Sunshine, and I was really, like, I guess surprised that it focused so much on, like, the workers, right? Like Kirsten Dunst, Ruffalo, Tom Wilkinson. Because I, I just wasn't expecting the movie to go that deep into, like, the inner workings of, like, this operation, I guess? And it's a really surprising and yet, like, a really fun element of the movie, like you guys were talking about. Like, them dancing is so much fun and so great. And, like, just them, like, drinking and having a good time. Almost every time I've watched this in the past, I forget about the the Kirsten Dunst uh, kind of reveal that she has had the operation done it, it, in regards to Tom Wilkinson. And it is one of the most like heartbreaking things in this movie to me because it like, I I don't know. It is so beautifully handled the way that like his wife is like, you can have him. You already did. And then just drives away. And it is just Uh, this like really like heart wrenching moment. And she is so great, especially in the last scene that she has with like Ruffalo. Where Ruffalo's like, I, I really liked you. Like, I actually liked you. And I, I I, didn't know about, like, any of this stuff. And they have just this really great, like, final scene where they're both just, like, accepting their situation. And it's just so, so beautiful. And, yeah, she, she's so great in this movie.
0: But shout out, you mentioned her kind of, a Deirdre O'Connell plays Wilkinson's wife. Yes. Who has, um, like, two scenes in this movie and fucking rocks it, especially that scene you're talking about.
2: I totally forgot also about how deep we go with these supporting characters as well and Kirsten's role in it too and I think it's brilliant because it kind of drives home the point of the whole film if by this point in the movie you haven't like learned anything Um, it's it kind of makes it all real for me at least because there is just such a like uh, freewheeling almost stream of consciousness type Uh, experimental vibe to everything we're seeing with Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet's characters and just seeing their relationship out of order and you get to know so much about them to then be ripped out of that fantasy slash nightmare and then into this reality that is the aftermath of what happens with this and a very unique specifically kind of predatory dynamic that uh, the aftermath of that is like I don't know. It makes it a really, really harsh reality of like the consequences of this. And if anything, what kind of placates it is like the end with Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet. But um, I don't know, It it is kind of, uh, it kind of complicates things even further for this movie. And that's why I have to give kudos to it. Because I was also a bit nervous to rewatch because I just romanticized the hell out of this movie, um, like everyone did when they were young. And I was a freshman in college watching this in film club with a guy I had a crush on. And it was like everything was like the stakes were perfect for me to be obsessed with it. Um, and then watching it now, I was like, oh, am I going to hate it? But I don't. I do have some evolved feelings about Eternal Sad Boy of the Incel Mind, Jim Carrey's character. <laughs> but um, overall, I think that everyone involved does a really good job of hammering that point home of the kind of necessity to the pain because it's all wrapped up in the pleasure and vice versa sorry i kind of rambled about that but
0: no i'm curious more about some of those like sort of negative things because we've been very positive and glowing about this movie so far so go ahead
2: i love it and i'm not trying to shit talk i think it's just like Mm -hmm. the film is simultaneously self-aware and delusional but that's how i think Mm -hmm. Humanity is, and Charlie Kaufman gets it more than anyone else, so I don't uh, think anything is a mistake or bad. Um, I love when Clementine says toward the end, I'm not a concept, I'm just a girl looking for a piece of myself, which I think is both, like, beautiful, profound, deep, and also kind of, like, hashtag just girly things. Like, it's kind (laughs) of a very simplistic (laughs) uh, thesis, you know, to this very complicated woman. It's like, ah, that's the that's like the the core of her. But I think that's true to most people. And we just saw it like very much zoomed in on one couple. But then even in the little bits we see with the supporting cast, we see just how complicated people can be and how awful we are to each other, how much we want to like each other and other people to like us and how we mess that up in the process. And uh, I think if he were a perfect character, if Jim Carrey were a more likable character, I don't think it would work as well. I don't think their dynamic would make as much sense. So none of it is bad by by any stretch. I just think I was a lot more attracted to Jim Gary Carey the first time I watched this. And, um, you know, be like, oh, he can be sensitive too and not just goofy and, you know, crossing his eyes. Um, watching it now, it's like, it, he's still charming. I just think it's like, I don't like what he says to Kay Winslet, man. You know, I can't, I can't get those mean words out of him I don't think she's as mean to him as he is to her. I think that's my only like, gripe. Right.
0: No, I agree. Yeah. And I think that's part of what's interesting about this movie, because we, we talk obviously a lot about like the romantic angle, of it, but even on just like the level of like memories overall, like when it displays that it is such a movie about like that feeling you have where it's like, Oh yeah. Remember when I was a kid and I did this dumb thing how fucking dumb was that that I did that (laughs) shit? Like, it has that kind of vibe of, like, looking back with, like, so much regret about a relationship, and then, like, by the end of it, it's all about kind of finding, well, at least there were these, like, little moments that we cling to that are kind of happy, and I think that's what's fascinating about, particularly, like, the ending with, uh, you know, Carrie and Winslet kind of, like, finding each other, and then realize, like, well, maybe, I don't know, maybe those guys just fucked it up. Maybe we can, like, do different? And it feels kind of like a weird thing where there's the more hopeful reading on that, that, like, maybe they can drag it and do, like, a better job at it, which feels more like the Gondry side of things, versus there's also the Charlie Kaufman read of, like, <laughs> if we if we forget our past, we're doomed to repeat it, literally, <laughs> in this case. <laughs> and I think that's what's so fascinating, is, like, I think it takes, it, it kind of straddles both those things in, like, you mentioned earlier, the kind of messy, complicated human way.
1: I mean, like, to, I guess since we're on the ending, I, like, I, I love the ending of this movie i think it's it has really aged for me at least really well over time like and i think it, it this is true for like many for most movies but like they change with you over time and like when i watched this movie in high school and i was definitely like depressed and like probably like brokenhearted i was like no the ending means that they're they're gonna get back together and that they're gonna break up because like it's awful and love is awful or whatever <laughs> but but i think now like it is such a complicated ending and i think it's a really like for me at least my kind of take on the ending is that like it is these two people realizing like well there's the chance that we just like this doesn't work out like i always think like her line when uh when carrie is like i i don't think those things about you and she says but you will and like it's this idea of you know yeah i could end really badly but part of it is the memories like literally like the, the whole movie is those memories and like creating those memories and experiencing like life and love and all of those things, which I just is very bittersweet to me because like there is always that chance of like, well, what they, maybe they do break up because like they discover these things about them. But I think the journey and the experience is part of it, which I just, I don't know. It's it really kind of, still sticks
0: with me even after seeing it like so many times that is interesting because i kind of had the reverse thing i remember when i was a kid and i saw this uh when i was in high school and i hadn't been in a relationship there was that kind of thing of like oh no but you know like kate winslet she's so charming and goofy she's so wild like she can get me out of my shell too and now revisiting it's just like oh man, yeah, this is all moving so fucking fast. Like we mentioned, like they they meet each other on that train and then like they're back at her apartment and it's just like, oh yeah, you, you think about having a kid and stuff like that? It's just like, whoa, <laughs> hold on, whoa, hold on. <laughs> we're, we're really cooking with gas all of a sudden. Um, and I think that's what's really fascinating going back to is like, you mentioned that kind of bittersweet quality. Kind of like really realizing that we're just like, I don't know, people are just like fucked up, man. And they went through, like, everybody goes through their own weird shit. And then you try and kind of, like, make it coalesce together. And, you know, sometimes it's, like, sugar and honey. And sometimes it's, like, fucking oil and water. (laughs) It just doesn't fucking match up. And I think that's what's fascinating. You can see why these two, like like I said, are, like, attracted to each other. And why they would kind of have that almost foolhardy, like, no, fuck it. Let's do it again. But also it's just, like, there's certain, like, human incompatibilities that, you know, who knows what happens with their second attempt at their relationship. But I think it's, it's a movie where, like you mentioned, Brian, it's, it's all about like, look, this could fuck up, but who's to say we can't try again. Kind of thing. It's like interesting, even though it's, you know, like I said, that Charlie Kaufman cynicism is still lingering yeah. throughout, but a Paul cast over the whole thing.
2: Even like right before the very end, but like toward the end, I love when, uh, I think she says it's going to be over soon. What do we do? And, or no, I guess it could have been him saying it, but someone says, enjoy it. I like botched that by not knowing who said what, but I think,
1: I think it's I, when she says it at the, at the beach house,
2: right? Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I just, I just love that. And I feel like that's also a very like in summation part of the movie and its message. And I love that because it's good and the bad all together, all the time, all at once. Hey, <laughs> that's almost a movie. <laughs>
1: I, I, I do feel like this movie though, like as this like portrait of like love, romance, like relationships, it is one of the more insightful that I, especially of kind of the 21st century, I think like it, all these things that we're kind of reading into it. But I, I think a lot about how this movie has like aged and especially now in like 2024 watching it. And like, I don't know. I was thinking of like the equivalent of this like procedure is like, when you, like, break up with someone and you have to, like, go through your, like, Instagram and, like, delete all of, like, your pictures of, like, being with them. Or, like, you see, you go onto, like, their Instagram and see that they've deleted all your pictures of you and you're just, it is that, like, weird, heartbreaking thing. But, like, I don't know. It's a really interesting way that I think this movie has aged and watching it now, I I, I thought a lot about that for some reason.
0: Well, yeah, especially because, like, the, the whole message of the movie by the end of it really is just, like, I don't know, we have to, like, remember those things that we went through. Right. Like, when you have that weird realization of, like, I erased, like, two years of my life where I was with you in a relationship. It's like, no, you're erasing, like, not just, like, this person, but, like, a part of yourself when you do that. Yeah. And to the degree that you want to, like, integrate them into other older memories. Like, I we haven't mentioned much about it, but I love all the stuff when he's a kid. <laughs> mm-hmm. And particularly where they have, like, whenever they edit from, like, you know, it's, uh, either, like, a little kid actor or then Jim Carrey in the same outfit, like, when he's getting beaten up <laughs> in the superhero, like, costume and, like, the whole bird thing, like, that feels very close to, like, certain, like, uncomfortable childhood memories where it's just like, oh, boy, yeah, I have those, like, put way in the back of my head <laughs> and I don't want to bother with, but, yeah, but it, it, like, that's especially where, like, Gondry's, like, forced perspective stuff, like, the kitchen and how oh, that kitchen. looks and how, like... He's super small versus Kate Winslet, who I just love. Like, when she gets dressed up in that outfit, this dream version of herself, so like, oh, fuck, this dress is great. Yeah. I wish I could take this with me. I love this kitchen. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: I also love every time she calls him Baby Joel. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's the stuff where it feels like Jim carries at his most carry like when he's in the little pajamas- Totally. He's, like, moving around the floor, like, oh, I'm, like, about four years old. Oh, God.
1: <laughs> oh, no. When he does his, like, his eye thing, trying to wake himself up, which I think is just, yes.
0: it's so funny. But also, I love that it, like, he's, like,
1: oh, that worked. Like, for a minute, it worked.
0: <laughs> right. I don't know, Lily, did you have any other dream imagery you wanted to comment on?
2: I mean, I, I it's the little stuff that also probably basic but like the the snow falling or the rain falling inside the (sighs) the apartment um you know whenever they're in a car that's kind of driving by his life or seeing other things just little scenes and vignettes as they're driving by um which was also cool uh, watching this behind the scenes thing and Uh, them talking about (laughs) there was like one guy in particular who was like yeah there were a couple scenes where there was a car inside of a building and I thought we were done with that and then we had to reset because Michelle said there was another scene and he sounded like really curmudgeonly about it Um, it's all just seamless and effortless seeming Um, obviously not at all effortless but it's just stunning and I love seeing like hints of, of the visual style and so many things following it
0: Another simple one like that is when he's in like that weird chair that he's like strapped into and like he's in different environments like on the street corner where you see like they're having that argument and stuff like that. But it's lit in the same exact way as it is like when he's actually in the office and stuff like that or even the just the simple imagery of like that bed on the snowy beach. Oh, yeah. It's a Like, it's just a perfect little simple image that's so just, yeah. like, I don't know, we put a bed in the middle of this beach, but, like, it says so much. That's, like, the most indie kind of parts of this movie, <laughs> where it's just, like, I don't know, we put the prop in the middle of, like, the outdoors.
2: It's classic indie.
1: <laughs> I, I love when he's a kid, and he's, like, they're, he's taking a bath in the sink, and it, like, <laughs> it transitions from, like, that to, like, it, I think it's them watching, like, the movie, like, the drive-in theater, and it, like, Carrie does, like, this like and he's, he's like all wet, and it's just such a like very simple like effect where they probably just had like a bucket of water like off to the side of the camera and like whatever. But it, it it's so effective in like just like like we were talking about that like seamless moving from memory to memory like thing. I, I I just love all of that stuff.
0: Or even like when the wall disappears while they're at that drive-in. Yeah. And like digitally, this is a great example also of like really simple digital effects. as well. They're just like so seamless and perfect, especially for like this kind of indier budget. It just feels like, oh, we're just casually making like the entire world crumble.
2: Subtlety is very powerful.
0: True. Yes. Something that more filmmakers maybe should learn (laughs) in a modern context. (laughs) Um, Also, we've mentioned a lot about the supporting cast. We haven't talked much about Tom Wilkinson, who recently passed Uh, away. R.I.P. Yes. Yes, and I know um, Ryan and I will get more of a chance to talk about him, because in a couple of weeks we'll be doing our Michael Clayton episode. Hell yeah, those baguettes. Nice. <laughs> yeah, those baguettes. Get ready, folks. Coming up. But Lily, how do you feel about Wilkinson, maybe in general, but also in this movie in particular?
2: Oh, he's wonderful, and I think just one of those actors who... He's not a strictly character actor by many means, but, by any means, but he's just like... In so many things that I think a lot of people don't know him by name, but they know his face. Um, and yeah, I mean, I I forgot he was in this one, and then just looking at like other um, Charlie Kaufman uh, and Michelle Gondry, pro- or I guess it was Michelle Gondry. I was looking at he's in a couple other projects of his.
0: He's well, uh, he's in Green Hornet. I Green Hornet. That's what dad. I was saying. Oh, I right. did not mean to bring that up
2: again. <laughs> um,
0: this is secretly a green episode, everybody. <laughs> yeah, oh
2: God. But he's got like a, a very like calming, warm presence, but can still inhabit a lot of different, uh, characters. But I think that's why he's so effective here because he does seem like he could be the, the ring master of these kind of like crazy technicians that, that work for him. And they all really, it's funny and sweet how much they really respect him and talk about like how he's such a genius. And, um, I think that's so interesting. And then a uh, reveal with, with him and Kirsten Dunce does complicate things. But I don't know if anyone could kind of balance that dichotomy or that kind of contradictory good guy, bad guy thing. I think he's a good pick.
0: Yeah, especially when like he just has that sort of like working man, blue collar almost version of like. A scientist in this case, where, like I mentioned, because of oh, like, right. the office and everything. But when he's, like, doing Jim Carrey's blood pressure and stuff, and he's asking, like, so is it brain damage possible? Like, well, the whole procedure is <laughs> technically brain damage, <laughs> which is a great line in the movie. But also, like, it kind of displays, like, his authority and his bedside manner that initially just, like, makes the whole front kind of work of this entire establishment. But then the moment, like, he picks up the phone, and it's like, what? What's going on? Oh oh god hold on I gotta get over there like he has that kind of like he's so tired even when it's not like him waking up in the middle of the night he looks like he's just gone through a whole life he has that kind of like great character actor face he does look very tired in this movie He you know, he looks tired
1: in a lot of movies and like I, like lily you mentioned that he's kind of he has a very warm presence in this movie and like i agree he he looks like a like a doctor like he i don't know there's something about him in this oh, movie really? just looks like a like a doctor but like there is something like in a lot of movies that is a bit menacing about him and a bit kind of like, I don't know, there's like a hidden kind of menace there, which kind of like makes the kind of subplot with uh, Kirsten Dunst. He adds to that complicated nature of that relationship. Um, but yeah, he he's so great and just really, like, nails the, the tone and, like, what he's doing and everything. I love when, like, when he's just working on the laptop, just being, like, and he closes it, and he's like, okay, I'm done. Time to go home. And then, like, Ruffalo <laughs> yes. has to call him back in, like, you know, to to, to finish doing the procedure or whatever. Like, yeah, but I,
0: I I love him in this movie. He's great. Yeah. And especially this was around the time like this and Clayton, where I kind of felt like, oh, this is one of those guys that I recognize, like he's one of the first character actors who I'm like I want to follow anything he does. Like even when he pops up in something like Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol oh, yeah. for a scene, and just gives all the gravitas. Just like you've been disavowed by the IMF. It's like you believe like Oh man, I fucked up. Tom Wilkinson's having a private meeting with me in a car. I know why Dunn fucked up. Same with um
1: the, the year after this, he's in Batman Begins. He plays a uh, Carmine Falcone, oh. and he's like so great oh, in that
0: scene. I that know. was definitely the first time I saw him in anything. Yeah. Yeah. He's so great.
1: He's
2: uh, in. He's in the Lone Ranger. Who could forget that?
0: Oh. Well, I mean, he he's the star of the movie, right? There aren't two other actors who star in that movie.
2: Yeah, no, it's just it's just him talking to green screen horses. He, he
1: plays both roles.
0: <laughs> oh no, Tom! No.
1: <laughs> oh God, we've mentioned the Green Hornet and the Lone Ranger this episode. If we're just going so twenty sorry. early twenty tens. Cursed uh, movies, box office bomb.
0: Like you know,
2: he's also in Rush Hour, so I'll palate cleanse with with that.
0: Not oh. a complicated movie at all. No, especially uh, no one directed that movie, right?
2: <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> this is, we can't have nice things. I shouldn't ever. No, talk no we, ever. We, can ha-
0: we can have Eternal Sunshine though. Which let's go oh, ahead sure. and do. I guess any lingering final thoughts. Uh, we'll start with Lily. Any lingering final thoughts and. Uh, about eternal sunshine and the spotless Mind
2: the, the fact that it has such lasting power and that nearly every person I talk to about this movie loves it. I don't think I've ever met anyone who doesn't when I mentioned to like my friends that I was gonna be talking about this they got they like lit up and they're like, oh I really want to rewatch that I think it's like a an inherently cozy feeling uh, ascribed to it because it is just such a such a warm even though complicated movie. It's really just remained in the culture, like we've said, in uh, what it's influenced, but also just, like, I mean, years, years after it had come out, you know, I would see GIFs on Tumblr, and then I still see it, like, on Twitter. Like, this, people are still obsessed, and I love that, because there are plenty of movies that people obsess over that I don't get the hype, but this is one that I absolutely do, and I think deserves it.
0: Well, Brian, what about your final thoughts on Eternal Sunshine?
1: Oh man, I I love this movie. I think I think it's a masterpiece, one hundred percent. And like, yeah, it has become these like this weirdly like beloved movie among like people around our like our age and younger. Like, love this movie. Like, even people I meet who like aren't really into movies, like you know, aren't really like super into it. Like we are like love this movie and like it. It is really beloved. But and I love it. I think it's great. I think you know, it's it's fascinating to look at you know, Carrie in this movie. Like it's such a weird Carrie performance where he's so like, obviously playing against type, but he's just so broken in this movie in a way I just love. And I think Winslet is so charming and so like great in this movie. The whole supporting cast is great. We didn't really mention, but the the music is made is by John Bryan, of course, who yes. also did like punch drunk love. And, you know, is a great uh, musician in his own right, but great music that really complements that kind of, like, quirkiness, but also a bit of that darkness that's in there. Like, his music is really great for that. And, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's a movie that has not really aged for me as well. Like, I-, I was kind of nervous to rewatch it, but I I love it. And it is very, like, Lily, like you said, like, very cozy. Like, I-, I-, I feel like this was definitely a movie I watched when i was like sick i feel like for some reason like it just has the, those like very cozy vibes very indie vibes of course as well and yeah i love it i think it's maybe maybe my favorite movie that charlie kaufman has ever you know worked on in any capacity i just i think it's a really like as much as charlie kaufman i think has had a couple of like really lightning in a bottle moments with like being john malkovich but even with like I would say something like Key new york which has become kind of beloved over the years i think this is his most fascinating and and best work and i love michelle Gondry's direction on this i think it's great and he just has a really really keen style that i just really like is it's so fascinating and i i would love to see him return to you know making kind of movies in a, in a, in more of a capacity. Cause I think he's mainly been doing like TV and stuff, but, um, yeah, I, I love this movie. It's very near and dear to my heart.
0: Uh, yeah. And like everyone's mentioning, I was worried revisiting this, um, especially considering like, I remember at the time when I first saw this, it was kind of like the more, one of the more hyped up kind of, uh, back in the day, the pass around a DVD movie. Because uh, this was definitely a movie that I first saw where, like, I don't know one of my cousins was like, oh, you should watch Eternal Science on the Spotless Mind, man. it's So great. Um, and I remember, like, being just, like, my mind being blown by it in that way that we're talking about where it's just, like, it's uh, what it's doing with, like, the untraditional narrative structure and how it's commenting on a lot of, like, very human things, whether they're, like, very, like, positive and flighty and... Beautiful or the like, really uncomfortable things we don't really talk about, and I think in that way revisiting it, it kind of feels like memory, where you are just like looking back at something and you remember all like the big sort of like flashier positive moments. And then especially going back to it this time, it did remind me of a lot more of just uncomfortable things uh, about myself to some degree, like you were kind of mentioning, Brian. Uh, but also at the same time, a lot of things that like I how I used to feel back in like that high school age, but how I've grown at the same time, it does do mm-hmm. that great thing where like a great movie grows with you, like was previously mentioned, where it's just like it you see it from a completely different perspective every time, but it still has a lot of those great qualities that still make you like fall for it, even though it's for very different reasons than why you initially loved it. And, uh, yeah, that's why I'm I'm glad at least that 20 years later it still really holds up. But, um, let's go ahead and get into our uh, usual segment here, Between the Lines. (music) Uh, um, between the lines, every uh, episode, Brian, myself, and a guest uh, like Lily, if she just so happens to want to participate, uh, will uh, recommend another film that relates to you know the movie we're talking about in some way, might be an alternate pick for an eye for indie kind of thing. And um, my pick, I'm going to go ahead and go here first, is a film from 2007 that did win at least one Oscar. Um, it is the uh, Joe Carney film, Once. Uh, which is uh this Irish movie that is about uh these two uh musicians uh literally their n- character names are Guy and girl, uh played by uh Glenn Hansard and Marketa Igrolov? I apologize, spam, I fucked that up so dearly uh but uh at the same time, these two uh musicians who initially find each other were like uh the guy just has just recently broken up with a woman and uh The girl is just kind of, like, you know, moving around, trying to, like, find her place in this town and stuff like that, and they end up collaborating, and, uh, you know, they start singing on these buskers um, on the street, and they kind of start getting, like, a bit more of a following, and they have, like, more of a a great collaboration that turns into a bit of a romance and how that kind of, you know, develops and eventually kind of falls apart. Spoilers uh, with this little uh, movie. But it is a true indie in that it was made for, like, $150,000... So much more low budget than Eternal Sunshine, Mr. Michelle Gondry. (laughs) Uh, It feels very, like, grounded, and all the musical performances are, I believe, just, like, done on set, like, on set audio and everything. Uh, But they're all written by the two actors, and they're actual, like, songs that they've, like, developed. And particularly the one Fallen Slowly, which this won a Best Original Song Oscar back in the day and I remember watching the, these Oscars and being like so unbelievably moved by that entire song when they performed it at the Oscars like without any context and then watching the movie it's still just as devastating <laughs> if not more wow. so um, and I find Joe Carney to be like a really fascinating director he usually deals with music like I really like Sing Street um, and uh, he did also do uh, Begin Again which feels like a lesser version of the same movie weirdly with Ruffalo <laughs> Uh, speaking to oh, yeah. um, uh, the current movie, uh, but I think once definitely, I can see why people were like instantly fascinated by him with this movie and I feel like it's definitely one of the ones from that Oscar period that has been a bit forgotten with time, and uh, I hope to recommend it just so more people would watch it because I think it, it deserves a lot more attention, a lot more love out there. I don't know, have you guys seen this one? No. No. I I love Sing Street
1: though. That's I was going to say. Of Yeah, Sing act. Street's great. It's a great movie, which, um, yeah, I I hadn't really dived into his, into John Carney that much, and I honestly
0: had not heard of this movie, to be honest, but. uh, Yeah, Yeah, apologies. I I also called him Joe Carney, not John Carney. (laughs) I apologize. (laughs) Well, you know him personally, so you know him by Joe. Yeah, (laughs) That's true. Me and Joe go way (laughs) better.
1: No, yeah, I'd love to watch it, though. It sounds great, and um, I think he has a really great, like, you know, his sensibilities for for making musicals are really great at least based on sing street which i genuinely think about all the time <laughs> uh and i mm-hmm. meaning to rewatch. so yeah drive it like you stole it man oh,
2: man classic <laughs>
0: <laughs> but what's your pick brian
1: uh my pick i'm going with another charlie coffin movie that's been it's been named many times but i want to talk about it a bit more because i re-watched it and i hadn't seen it in a very long a time uh i'm gonna recommend adaptation uh directed by spike jones and i didn't like this movie when i first saw it i remember um and i i I don't know i i I think i had watched it because of charlie kaufman i kind of i watched eternal sunshine and i was like i want to watch everything this guy has made (laughs) and um i don't know it was a weird movie it it just really put me off for some reason. Um, despite like the fact that I love all of Spike Jones' other movies, which this also serves as a PSA, which I'll get to in a second. Yeah, I loved this movie, watching it again. I was really blown away by it. And just kind of this weird meta-narrative that I forgot how perfectly it is integrated into this movie. Like, the movie you're watching is the movie that... Nicolas Cage who plays Charlie Kaufman is writing and he's got a twin brother also played by Cage who is really great in this movie by the way is like as both both characters in this is just really 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 stellar Um, but also Meryl Streep and also this one an Oscar uh, for Chris Cooper which I was really surprised that uh, he had won for best supporting actor that year but um, he's great in the movie and as well, a small cameo from Tilda Swinton, which we will also talk about on the Michael Clayton episode. Um, but the 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 PSA element is Spike Jones. Please make another movie. I, I miss you. Please, please. I think all the time about this, that sort of rumor that came out where he was like filming something with Frank Ocean and Brad Pitt. Right. And nothing ever happened at that. And I just I don't know. And I, I love that Beastie Boys documentary that he made, which was like a, a very interesting documentary and kind of the way that it was made. But um, yeah, I mean, Her is 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 11 years old this year, which is crazy to think about. I can feel the gray hairs settling in. But um, yeah, Adaptation is incredible. It, it's a great movie about like writing and also just the creative process. It's a great movie about like it's Charlie Kaufman looking at his place in Hollywood, especially at that time where he had been like, he had made being John Malkovich and really kind of assessing what his place was and what he could do and what he wants to do, but maybe isn't able to do because of the industry and everything. And it's, it's an incredibly smart movie still to this day. Lily, as you mentioned, you love this movie as well. I don't know. Do you, do you have anything to to add for adaptation?
2: I'm just dying to rewatch it again because I've been on a real Nick Cage kick uh, lately. I watched, I did a double feature of um, Valley girl and Mandy um, just to get the kind of full <laughs> breadth of his uh, range. And uh, he's like steadily become one of my favorite actors, I think because there's like a charming quality that I didn't really realize the adaptation, which is he can make fun of himself. He is a goofball i think he was misunderstood that people thought he was like some serious like take himself very seriously like tom cruise capital a actor but and you know being from the coppola's like a lot of prestige and pressure there but i think that that movie is one of the most like revealing and exemplary of the fact that he he can make fun of himself. He can embody the like most pathetic type of character and still be so charming and redeemable. Um, and it's also very satisfying that he's kind of split in two because you get such different um, perspectives on like uh, the Hollywood machine, the people in it, the personalities, and the uh, idiosyncrasies. So it's it's a great movie. I need to rewatch it. And Meryl Streep. Incredible. Oh,
1: She's really great. It's a really kind of subtle like you know nuanced like street performance not that she isn't like isn't that normally but like it i feel like she often gets kind of lauded for her like bigger performances but um yeah it's a great street performance as well
0: she's a lot more down to earth and casual in that movie in a way that's kind of refreshing yeah her like snorting the <laughs> like the the drugs off the table and everything
2: if you've yeah. ever looked up susan orlean <laughs> who she's playing Her Twitter, I don't know if it still exists since the great downfall of Twitter, but um, she's one of the funniest people to ever be on that app. She is just so chaotic and so funny. I actually think Meryl Streep toned her down. Um, Also, Susan (laughs) Orlean um, wrote an article that became the movie Blue Crush, and I just think that's a fun fact.
0: Uh Yeah. And though, by the way, we were mentioning Cage earlier. We didn't mention this, but he was the first choice for the Carrie role in Eternal Sunshine. Which I find mm. fascinating. Yeah. Weird. Right.
1: <laughs> I love Cage. I don't know if he could play as, like, dejected and broken. I guess maybe, like, Cage in, like, pig mode,
0: which I love him in pig, but, like, I don't know. If... Right. It might be a bit overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. To the movie, necessarily, right? Um, but, I mean, I love adaptation. I think particularly we haven't mentioned uh, the amazing one scene turn from Brian Cox in that movie. <sighs> Which I think was the first time I, like, well, no, it was probably like X2 or some shit like that. But that was the first time I'm like, oh, man, this guy. This guy's, like, so great. Just, like, (laughs) him dressing down Nick Cage in that fucking seminar is so good. And I remember, like, seeing that in, like, early college and just genuinely breaking my brain. It was like, wait, so it's, like, a movie that he's writing. And then it's all this. And just, like, the the construction of it, like, nearly broke my brain at the time. Um, But, yeah, I I still think it's pretty great. For sure, it's not my favorite of uh, the uh, sort Kaufman Spike Jones collaborations. I would still say being John Malkovich, I prefer a bit more, but I still think that one's tremendous. But speaking of Spike Jones, Lily, I think you have a related film uh, for Between the Lines here.
2: I do, and it's been said and hinted around, but I chose the 2013 Spike Jones movie Her. Uh, Yet another movie I waited too long to see because it just seemed super sad. And I was like, no, thanks. Life is already sad. Why would I put myself through that? But um, it is such an incredible love story, uh, breakup movie, uh, science fiction uh, film. And I think that's what drew me to this choice and connection to Eternal Sunshine um, is I'm such a fan of like romantic, cozy sci-fi like movies where that's just like happens to be an element that just so happens to be somewhat futuristic that's not like Mm -hmm. the focus um i was telling y'all about that movie i'm your man the german movie with uh dan stevens and um it's also similar even though the whole like core of that is like a woman uh dating a male robot but uh the opposite of that in her with Joaquin Phoenix and probably my favorite performance of his, um, and probably my favorite Scarlett Johansson performance, someone who I think has been like, um, very uh sexualized and like her physicality is very much like a part of her so it was very cool to have her be in a role where you don't see her Uh, i think she really proved her acting chops there because it's just all her voice and it's so um evocative and visceral all the same and how it's also similar to eternal sunshine is that you just see Kind of like a what if scenario of a relationship, not the like messy linear side of it uh, that we see in real life playing out slowly, steadily, painfully, pleasurably, whatever, but sort of like a relationship tailored to this one man. And when I say it like that, it sounds like the most like awful patriarchal like synthesis of a man's like fantasies, but it's not. Um, And that's what's so brilliant is similar to adaptation where charlie kaufman is a character the main character it could be self-indulgent that spike jones wrote this movie directed it and it's he said sort of like his response to sofia coppola's uh, *Lost in translation but it's not self-indulgent in a pretentious uh like obnoxious way it's very like introspective self-reflective critical of oneself um and I don't know, it's just not enough romances do that. It's either all pain or all like sappiness and saccharine. And, you know, what I love about her is that it's very gut-wrenchingly, beautifully poetic uh, and heartbreaking, but also very silly and real. And also Spike Jones is like a little animated character in a video game, like saying, fuck you <laughs> to <so> Joaquin. <laughs> like that over and over again will just play in my head. And it's awesome, but I'm I'm just obsessed with like romantic cozy sci-fi because God forbid there be any hard sci-fi with also a a viable love story. But um, you know, Peggy Sue got married somewhere in time, like these romantic time travel ones. I'm a fan of that. Um, Anything with like a side of sci-fi, I think, is super cool.
1: Here's a a a weird revelation about me. Um, According to my Letterboxd, which I have used since about the time Her came out. I have seen her 6 times <laughs> Oh, wow and it is it, it is kind of similar to Eternal Sunshine a movie I haven't seen in a very long time that I am a little bit nervous to rewatch but yeah I also love I loved this movie and um I, I Joaquin is so great I mean he's probably my favorite actor of all time and uh yeah there's something so like I don't know, you want to just give him a hug in this movie. He's so, like, you know, adorable in a weird way. And, like, I I also think Scarlett Johansson is really great in this movie. It is a great performance, which is kind of odd to think about. Yeah, because you don't see her body, but, like, you really get a sense of, like, her personality coming through the movie. And, like, she also just has a very distinctive voice as well, which I love, but... um. Yeah, and also a great supporting cast in this movie with like Amy Adams, like Rooney Mara, uh, Chris Pry is really good in that movie, which is weird to think yes. about. Um, <laughs>
2: yeah. Olivia Wilde.
1: Uh, Olivia Wilde <laughs> is great. Yeah. And like Bill Hader is in. He's like one of the, the, the chat like people.
2: So is Kristen Wiig. Yeah. Right. Yes. <laughs>
1: yes. Um, but yeah, no, I love her. And um,
0: double PSA, Spike Jones, make another movie. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Really underline it. Uh, but yeah, I love her. I remember that, that was one of my favorite movies of like that decade. And I remember I didn't see it for like a long gap um, until like the last couple of years. But it's so, it still like works so well for me, I think, particularly considering one, Scarlett Johansson Handsome was like a late addition, because there was originally Samantha Morton on the set. Did, like right, yeah. The, like voice stuff, and she was gonna like be the final voice. And then Scarlett like dubbed over, and it doesn't feel at all like there's a disconnect whatsoever with that. It feels, like, perfect. Um, But also, I just love the fact that with, like, the sort of sci-fi angle of it, that, like, it's this movie about, like, this weird relationship and how it breaks apart because of basically the singularity, which is amazing to me. (laughs) It was like, I don't know, we're different people, you're a human, um, and then artificial intelligence that's grown beyond my... (laughs) the the (laughs) confines that humanity's put me in, so I'm going somewhere else. But, maybe you might show up later. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, But, yeah, especially also that it's, like, of these sort of, like, near-future movies, it feels like one of the more plausible ones. Truly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, you could see, within ten years, we live in, like, sort of a her society, <laughs> quite yeah. frankly. I
1: think all the time about how this movie kind of came out pre, like, Tinder. And, like, pre, yes. kind of, like, that, you know, Bumble, all those, like, dating apps and everything. And it's such a fascinating, like, weirdly, like, prescient movie about that kind of thing. Yeah,
2: and I'll
0: know. underline as well the Spike Jones, please. Make another movie.
2: Please, we know you're listening.
0: <laughs> Once you're done acting in, like, fucking Babylon and, like,
1: I don't know, what else was he in recently? Jackass Forever, of course. That bad Grandpa <laughs>
2: or something. I don't know. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Talk- maybe maybe the Babylon thing gave him an- another edge. Like, I need to direct again. I'm playing I mean, a director.
1: <laughs> direct Bad Grandpa 2 or something or, you know, I don't
2: know. <laughs> something. <laughs>
0: <laughs> jackass five ever do it sure yeah just for can take a backseat for a movie <laughs> come on um but yeah, let's go ahead and repeat our titles for everybody out there in case you want to add them to your watch lists and whatnot uh my pick was the 2007 oscar award-winning film once uh mine was the
1: 2002 spike jones directed charlie kaufman written adaptation
2: and mine is the 2013 spike jones written and directed movie her
0: Yes, and uh, we're going to be winding up here, but we want to thank some people before we get out of here. We want to thank Burial Grid for our intro and outro music, uh, purchases music at BurialGrid.com. Uh, thanks to Michelle Kyle for our artwork finder at MishKyle96 on Twitter. And thanks to our Cineas Patreons over at uh, Patreon.com slash Number two letter, where for just $1 a month, you all get to vote in polls for individual movies we cover, and also uh, get to listen to bonus audio stuff, like uh, around this time, uh, Brian and I would have put out our audio review for The Beekeeper, which we've seen and we love, and we recommend you all watch it, and then become (laughs) a patron and listen to our very goofy review, (laughs) where we just were baffled and fascinated in every degree by Beekeeper, um, and uh, also we'll be doing a retrospective of The Critic, the 90s animated series, uh, which will be fun. And also, we'll just uh, we'll announce here, this is the first time on the main feed you'll all be able to hear it, in February, our big bonus audio thing will be um, our awards sort of program thing that we're planning, and we've come up with a name, which is the uh, LOSES, which is the Letters of Cinematic Excellence Awards, Brian and I will uh, be talking about, you know, our, you know, picks for best film and the acting category, cinematography, all sorts of stuff. Uh, and that'll be our big bonus one for February. So you get access to all that stuff for just the $1. Um, and our last person to thank is Lily. Thank you for so much for being a yes, guest on the you. show. We really appreciate it. Uh, where can people find you on the Internet if you wish to be found?
2: Well, thank you so much for having me. This is a blast. Um, I am on Instagram at lily.labens, letterboxed at writer. That's E A S Y W R I T E R. And whatever is left of Twitter, um, I'm on there at Lily is okay. And my name is L I L I, by the way. Most people spell it wrong, but you guys spelled it right. So.
0: The important thing we did yeah. it on this <laughs> workflow thing that you guys can't see. <laughs> That's what counts, though. And in the description, hopefully, I'll continue to spell it right. Um, but uh, you can follow us on various socials like Instagram, Blue Sky. If Twitter's still around, we're still there, probably at Cinema Number Two Letter. And uh, you can find me specifically on stuff like Letterboxd and Twitter at Not the Who's Tommy. And you also do some writing at uh, MarianiThomas.wordpress.com at Film-Cred.com. Uh,
1: and I'm also kind of on Twitter sometimes um, at B-R-Y-A-N-D-R-A-D-E and the number three. Uh, Or you can also follow me on Letterboxd at my name uh, where, you know, watching movies, listing stuff, ranking, all that good stuff. So, yeah, uh, follow me on there.
0: And uh, for more of just the audio stuff, you can uh, follow us on places like Apple Podcasts or wherever uh, you listen to your podcasts on, you know, whatever pocket casts or such that you all have out there. Uh, if you're listening on Talk film Society, you want to listen to all the other great shows that are on the network that are just besides us, like Brian and I, were recently on the uh, Talk Film Society podcast with uh, Marcelo and Siobhan. We had a lot of fun talking about gravity and various other <laughs> awards-related <laughs> things. It was very enjoyable. Um, and uh, you can uh, dig into our archives and our Podbean main feed for you know, the past three scenes of this show or the old Double-Edged Apple Double Bill show where you might hear Lily... On one of the the last episodes, you were one of the last guests we had on that show.
2: After iconic. you were just like, we got to stop, so stop
0: it. <laughs> we got to stop it. We can't continue. We can't top this, possibly. We have to burn it all.
2: Or I start. ruined it. <laughs> Tainted it. I don't
0: know. That, 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 that's the more Charlie Kaufman read <laughs> on, <laughs> on your guest appearance. But uh, yeah, if you can't support us on the Patreon, you know, the completely free way to help us out is to rate, review, or simply share the show around to give us more visibility so people won't forget us. So we don't disappear from people's memories. In weird Michelle Gondry kind of <laughs> clever ways, um, but yeah, you know, uh, we'll just tease our next episode, our end for new in our one-one Oscar series. Uh, we'll be uh, about another round. The Mads Mikkelsen Best uh, International Film, the first international film uh, winner, quote unquote, with that oh, yeah. title of the award. Um, I'm curious, Lily, have
2: you seen this one? Yes, I um, I loved it. I and I contemplated picking this i just i didn't know if i had as much to say other than mads mickelson hot uh, (laughs) alcohol good i get it i don't know (laughs) um i'll definitely have to listen though i i'm curious to hear your thoughts because i watch it with my whole family at like you know weird depressing COVID time so i should probably give it another watch with a new perspective
0: yeah i'll put that on the blu-ray by the way drinking good mads (laughs) mickelson hot (laughs) (laughs) Lily (laughs) layman's
2: Just, it's all for free. Take it.
0: <laughs> Hell yeah, <dude. laughs> Um, But yeah, it'll be interesting to talk about that one, Brian. Especially, it feels like a very like we had a rough time thinking of like of the sort of new our twenty twenty forward with like movies that have won an Oscar. Not a lot of great picks, right? Really.
1: <laughs> but this was kind of feels like the one from that like twenty twenty Oscar year that like still kind of lingers a bit, right? Like I feel like I see that clip of you know, the ending of that movie on Twitter circulating, like every once in a while, it, it feels like it still kind of like, you know, lingers, which, you know, of course is due to the,
0: the Mads Nicholson of it all. Cause God, what a hottie. Oh, we'll be going mad about Mads. Yeah. Next time. Uh, but until then everybody, yeah, you know, let's, uh, let's get out of this bed. That's on the beach. That's like snowy for some reason. Let's keep living our lives.
2: I'm having deja vu.
0: Spike Jones <laughs>
1: TikTok. We'll we'll be waiting. <laughs> <laughs>